everybody. So for this episode, my track kind of sounds like it's being played through a gramophone. It's going to be a little bit scratchy. We're aware of it. We already fixed it for next episode, and we hope you still enjoy the episode. Have fun. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Rumor Flies, and I am Ryan. And I'm Josh, what's up everyone? And we got Greg with Deaf Media here. What up? Woot woot. And today before we start with our topic at hand, we are going to head and uh, give you a little bit of an update of things going on with us and clean house a little bit. Uh, for our first announcement is that we want to say that we just joined a little podcast collective called the Dark Myths Collective. Uh, you can check it out at darkmist.org. It's a whole bunch of great podcasts, and we're probably going to pick out one or two each episode to call out to everybody, uh, ones that we actually like and recommend, and they have been extremely receptive to us, especially since we're so early starting out. Uh, they're great, and we just wanted to say check out darkmist.org in your leisurely time after listening to this episode. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. It's definitely worth checking out. I know I've found at least three or four new podcasts that that I've now listened to just from pr- like browsing what's on there. There's so, too many to listen to on there. Yeah, right there's now. a lot. There's a lot. And there's some really, really like well done podcasts on there that that you'll learn a lot from. It's a lot of them that I've already listened to as well. Yeah. But and secondly, they're just good people. Yeah, exactly. And they're good they, people. Like yeah. I said, they've been very helpful with this. <laughs> uh, dark myths. Anyway, so moving on, we want to clean house again a little bit. Uh, episode two, I believe I went over a little uh what did i say joke lifting from Stealing ron white last time like that, yeah. where i was talking about my height or anything like that mm-hmm. you know i fessed up but we've noticed a pattern over the past few episodes yeah 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 yeah. involving our good boy josh over here yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it turns out that shakespeare is very well known for having uh, expanded the dictionary by a vast margin by just adding words to it in his plays. And it looks like Josh is also trying to pick up that legacy by doing it through this podcast. You know, you just, you want to bring your own personal spin on things. You know, I try to in, invoke my commentary to the listeners. And sometimes you just kind of get what you get. And sometimes it's a word that you may not know. I may not know either, but it just happens. Well, okay, we're going to go ahead and just take the first two that we know of right now. We're going to play the clip real quick. And we're going to play af- the, wait, we play the Clip what? I mean, they've already heard it, but they don't still, need to play the clip. They can pl- no, let them find it. It's an Easter egg. No, they're gonna play the clip. No, but no. All right, so the first That's one. That's what happens when Ryan's the editor. <laughs> I'm gonna play regardless. All right, so here's the first clip. There's a rumor <sighs> that the friendship boats run on rails. That's why they are always on time. That's why they're perfectly parked. That's why they're perfectly backed up into the docks. It's because they are on rails. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> defute that claim. All right, so that word right there is defute. Josh, would you like to describe to us what defute means? Yeah, it's like <laughs> when you want to argue with someone and refute it, but when a guy's doing it, you put the D in it, so you defute oh it. My God. Oh, Jesus. I Whoa. thought it was just going to be like, diffuse the situation and yeah, also it's refu- basically. I was trying to say like diffuse or refute or something, and they just kind of had a baby, and that's what happened. All right. I understand that you were a little bit worked up at that point when we were mentioning that. I think it was over the friendship boat, so. Yeah, I think that's what it was. But... The second one, we're going to go ahead and play the second one real quick. I mean, I was always taught growing up with cooking that, you know, if you add like a little wine to your food, it was fine that it would completely deface. All right. So now that we've heard it, 
What does defase mean? You know, I was trying to say like it's phased out, and then I was trying to think of a word that like mentions it cooks out, and then there's just too much alcohol when you're preparing for something. Read 1984. Just... He wanted to do some new speak. Exactly. So it just defased. Not enough so... alcohol cooked out of your stomach. No. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly it. Not enough alcohol cooked out of me in the meantime. So we're going to try to keep tabs on this. Listeners, if you hear Josh say anything that doesn't sound like a real word, or at least an English word, because that's the general language that we use for this podcast. Sometimes. Let us know at rumorflies at (laughs) gmail.com. Email address to Greg at rumorflies at gmail.com. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now that we've cut through that, we're going to go ahead and get to the actual meat of the podcast. And today's episode is going to be on brain myths. Uh, this is one that, honestly, we were a little bit worried about. We weren't sure if we could, like, milk enough out of it. But turns out that we have made, uh, what I would agree, several episodes out of it. Yeah, this is something that I know I was voicing a lot of skepticism about because I wasn't sure, like you said, how much we would get out of it. But when you look into things, there is a lot of possibilities, a lot of different roads and avenues we can go down. And I'm sure we're going to be exploring them in the near future. Right. And we actually kind of tripped over a little gold nugget along the way called Great Myths of the Brain by Christian Jarrett. It's a recent book. I think it was published the first edition in 2015. And disclosure right now, we used a lot of material from that book to cover this because it turns out that most of the things that we're picking out beforehand were covered in this book. It's a great book. I haven't read all the way through it, but I definitely plan to. I'm sure Greg does too. He showed a little bit of interest in it as well. But but f- Josh, he's not going to read it. He <laughs> <laughs> just didn't seem as happy about it. I, I I plan on reading through it. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's actually it was it was fascinating. No, it's really interesting. And, and no bullshit. It's really interesting. Hey, really how's Clash is. of Kings going? Clash of Clans? No, no, you just revealed that you're a Clash of Clans fan. I mean, it's, if you're going to make fun of me, at least get the name right. No, I'm talking about you reading the goddamn Game of Thrones books. Sorry, A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm a very big fan. Do I was going to say, you Thrones. done goofed now. I've read it 30 times through, and I'm just like letting my nerd them out. But you've been on the first book for like, what, three years now? I finished the first book. You did? Yeah. Okay. I finished, and I've like got three chapters left of the second book. Okay. So eat my ass. God damn it. We're still like, <laughs> going ahead and just getting way off of brain myths. Yeah, I know. All right, so anyway, I think this is the first episode that we're covering where nobody dies. Um, oh, we don't talk about somebody dying. Yeah, we dying. don't we don't and we don't directly talk about death in this one. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so this is our least morbid episode thus far. It took us, you know, 5 episodes 5 to get episodes to that point. in. So about halfway through the season. <laughs> right. All right. So Josh, let's go ahead and start with you. Okay, so the first one that I took was the famous notion and and myth, I'm going to call it a myth, uh, because that everyone knows you only use 10% of your brain. And I mean, I, Brian, I know, I'm sure you've heard it before. I mean, there's the famous line in, uh, what is it, Wedding Crashers, you know, when Owen Wilson's talking to a girl. You know, uh, they say we only use 10% of our brains, but I think we only use 10% of our hearts. Right. And not only that, there's a whole bunch of movies that have come up recently based on that. Oh, well, yeah. Then there's Limitless and Lucy and... Well, that's the premise. Or in the new TV show, Limitless, for whatever yeah. godforsaken well, like, reason. Limitless, Limitless, where Bradley Cooper takes, like, super Adderall and just becomes smart and uses all of his brain at some point. Or Limitless, where uh, Scarlett Johansson decides to move cars with her mind because she uses all of it. No, that was Lucy. Yeah, that's what I said, Lucy. Limitless. Let me, oh, I'm sorry. We can well, play Lucy. that back. That's fine. All right. Uh, anyway, Lucy. Yeah, I Don't you actually... ever make a mistake on this podcast ever again. <laughs> That's one penalty shot. 
That's going to happen. That's actually three for the two made-up words, right? Right. So, but Lucy, I haven't seen the movie, but pretty much I've already seen an anime called uh, Elf and Lied, which seems very in line with Lucy, just from looking at the trailers. I might be very wrong, and I might get some shit called on me on that one. I have no idea. Uh, You should watch it. Anyway, so the idea is that generally we only use 10% of our brain, and we have this, like, extra 90% potential that none of us is tapping into because we're too dumb to do it. Well, basically, yeah, that that kind of hits the nail on the head. But I'm going to start off with that with that myth saying where it came from. And a lot of people believe that it originated with two Harvard psychologists, William James and Boris Sittis. They decided in the 1890s that they were going to test the reserve energy theory on a child prodigy. And that child prodigy was William Sittis, Boris's son, who was Great just born. subject. Yeah. So he's just like, well, we're, we're going to test this on, on this kid that's going to be a genius. Now we got to find that genius. And Boris is like, well, I just had a, I had a fucking kid. So what, what, he seems like a great candidate. My son beats me in checkers occasionally. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they decided that they were going to test this reserve energy theory. And now the reserve energy theory, that basically states that we have a reserved surplus of energy mentally and physically that if, if we work hard enough and if we try hard enough and we train ourselves and condition ourselves, we, why are you laughing? Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, God. <laughs> if we work hard enough and try hard enough, like Thomas the Tank Engine said, that we can access this reserve energy and it battles mental fatigue or physical fatigue or, you know, anything like that. Now, when they wrote that, they never gave a percentage of our brain brain saying that this was all that, you know, we used X number of our brain while there's X amount of untapped potential. Now, since they, they gave no no percentage to it. I think they said something like a fraction. They didn't say anything. Right, terms, right. There, there was, was no, no number. number. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, thank you. There was no definite number to what they were trying, what amount that we do or do not use. So basically, in layman's terms, because as you'll know, I'm not the smartest of peoples. What they're basically talking about is getting your second wind. That That's the, the bare bones of it. So it, it's not exactly exactly sure where the phrase originated they know that it probably stemmed from that and that you know back in in the 1930s there was a big push with the self-help movement with all these books you know to to make yourself better and teach yourself to do all this stuff and whatnot um so we're totally glad that died right (laughs) i wish so they a lot of these self-help books would be like you know if you you want to learn how to you know do woodworking you know you think that, you know, you don't have time now, but you only use 10% of your brain or, you know, whatever the advertisement was. But it was all over the place. They were running rampant with this phrase. So they had no idea wh- where this actual phrase came from. But that's a pretty good um, that's a pretty good spot for where they think that a lot of it came from. And, Ryan, you said uh, we both did some research that Albert Einstein was also someone who a lot of people credit this phrase to. Right. That was one of the guys that I, I really think that this is where this kind of stemmed. Because Albert Einstein is undeniably a very smart person. And I think somebody attributed a quote to him that said something like, the reason why I'm so smart is because most people only use 10% of their brain. I use 100%. Well, it turns out that nobody can actually find where that quote came from. Yeah, they actually did some some research with the, uh, the Albert Einstein Institute or whatever it is. And they actually made them go through all the archives to find that quote. And they couldn't. 
they like did thorough research for it. Damn, I wish one day I could be. Actually, I don't wish that. Imagine being that popular to the point where there's a whole archive of things you said throughout your entire goddamn life. Yeah, I know I'd be in a lot of trouble. I never say anything stupid, <laughs> right? Well, not all versus a fortunate, Greg. <laughs> so, to back to ten percent, ten percent of our using ten percent of our brain. So there was this famous scientific skeptic named Barry Bayerstein, and he basically took this myth. And he broke it down into simpler parts, and he explained why this isn't true. Now, and and the the most obvious case, which I think is a really really smart way to start off, you study somebody who suffered brain damage. You know, if we we incur an event that damages part of our brain, and it doesn't matter what part, any part of our brain. You know, if we only use ten percent of our brain, then we should not be hindered for our daily physical activities that we do, you know, whether it's our motor skills, whether it's memory or speech or anything like that. If we only use 10% of our brain, any kind of damage to it, it wouldn't matter because there's so much left over. Right. Like Phineas Gage, one of the guys in the book, actually, I want to talk about the subject, but it's not exactly uh, as relevant to a myth as an actual fact as Phineas Gage was the patient in the uh, turn of the century who got an iron rod through his fucking frontal lobe and he, pretty much he was a railroad foreman and he was a really nice guy, but he became a like monumental asshole afterwards. Yeah. Like it, when you're known just for being an asshole afterwards and having an iron rod go through your head, nah, that's not exactly the path in history that I'd want to go down. Nah, I don't think so either. But that guy should have had nothing wrong happen to him afterwards. If, if that was true, and yeah. This guy survived. He's the closest person to the person that should have died in this podcast that we would have been talking yeah, that's about. That's about as close as we'll get. But Exactly. A lot of people get brain injuries. You know, where's that 10%? Like, there's only little bits and pieces spread across the brain. There's only a couple neurons, a little uh, here and there, gray matter. Like, once again, the theory of conservation is if you don't need it, it's not, you're not going to use it. Like, that's how evolution works. It not only does it enhance things to adapt to something, also, if you don't use it, you lose it. A lot of people are born without wisdom teeth at this point. If you didn't use 10% of your, like 90% of your brain, actually, I'm sorry, that 90% wouldn't end up being there a couple generations down the line. You're stealing all my thunder. I got that. I'm going to get into all of that. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. But, no, no, no. You're, but you're right, though. Yeah. To, you're, you're right. Uh, to go on that, I, I, once again, it's not like monkeys just eventually evolved into humans and they had these big brains and they had to figure out what to do with those brains afterwards. It was very, very strenuous to evolve into that at that point. It's not like it's going to be overcompensating and then all of a sudden just shrink back down to that 10%. We need our brains, like every little bit of it to function like normal human beings. Exactly. Yeah. So since you've done knocked out everything, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> no, nah, it's cool, man. I'm just giving you our time. So the other thing would be brain scans. So they do brain scans on people doing everyday activities. And when they do these brain scans, they see all the, the cylinders firing in all parts of the brain. So if you only use 10% of your brain, why is it also active when you're just walking and talking to someone? Right. So that was another big thing that he said. Uh, the brain is essential to live, which I'm sure you've all figured that out by now. But the, so the brain can require up to 20% of your body's energy. So when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, your brain weighs about three pounds and something that weighs three pounds controls one fifth of everything your body does. Well, if only 10% of your brain was used, then it doesn't really make sense that, you know, 10% of your brain would, would work so much of your body. I don't know. It doesn't, that just, that doesn't sound right. Right. I mean, so the whole idea of conservation of energy yeah. just kind of 
shoots right back at them because if you really want to con- conserve energy, don't have that extra bit that needs energy. Well, and, and much like you said earlier, you know, just with natural selection and, you know, survival of the fittest kind of thing, if we didn't need all this part of our brain over time, it would have died out, which also means that over time we would have been born with smaller heads and smaller brains and people with smaller heads. I, I know. We would have been like the Goombas from Super Mario. I know, I know exactly where you're going with that. Yeah. The movie. Yeah. <laughs> If you were born, so people who were born with smaller heads and smaller brains would be at a advantage over all of us. Oh man, so Zika kids would have nothing wrong with them. No, not a thing. No. I went there. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, we'll go ahead and. That was kind of funny. That was kind of funny. No, you want me to get into Zika? I can. I can get serious about that and how they should bring DDT back. Maybe for another episode. But it's starting to make its way. It's starting. I'm starting to see products with it. It just says it on the label now. With DDT, no, yes. it is completely yes. banned. No, no, it's not. I used it on a set this summer. Really? Yes, it had twenty-five uh, percent DDT. Interesting. It, said, it had to stay on the label. It sat on the label. It was a big thing. I'm inter- like, I'm really excited if you're right about that. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I remember spraying it all over my clothes. Yeah, I worked we were, in pesticides. We were shooting in. It might the be D E E T. Sure, it wasn't that. Might have been D E T. D E E T. I think that's what you. Were oh, it was D. You're right. It wasn't D D T. No, D D T was a miracle thing that happened of just like thin bird shells, but. Well, you know what? That's too off of it. We'll go. We'll continue. So the last two things I was going to talk about was the location of different brain functions. So like, kind of like similar to before, like when they do brain scans of people, different parts of your brain do have different purposes for your body. So when you do different things, it requires different parts of your body to function in order to do them. And if there was only ten percent of it, then not all of it would work at the same time, and trivial tasks would be impossible. Uh, and the last thing I was going to say was that, and this is this to me what makes honestly the most sense out of all of them, is that brain cells that aren't used die off. So if they did an, the old, so in theory, then the older you got, when they would do an autopsy on you, your brain would look like mush and like shit. Because if we only use 10% of our brain, then you would have like holes all over it from it just not being used. Yeah, gray matter would be brown matter. And, Doo-doo butter, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. That was such like a muffled, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Butter, just, yeah. I'm agreeing with you. So, yeah, like, so even, so to, to wrap this whole thing up, so it takes so much of your, your brain's ability to wake up, stand up out of your bed, walk to the bathroom, put toothpaste on the toothpaste, on the toothbrush, and brush your teeth. I mean, that literally requires every part of your brain to be kicking at some point, and the neurons are like a lightning storm just going everywhere. So that right there just completely just shoots that myth in the face. Yeah, there's a reason why it sucks to wake up. Yeah. Well, oh, that sounded really depressing. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a little morbid. And covering <laughs> death, we're sure it's all making up for it. <laughs> I was going to say, this room got a little darker. <laughs> all right, the next subject so, of depression flies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's all I got to say about the 10%. Uh, is there anything else you want to add, Ryan? Uh, that's about it for me. I'm sure it's going to come back. One thing that you might notice in this episode is that we are probably going to be touching on previous topics because they just happen to cross paths. It's the same organ, so I assume that it's going to just, you know, intermingle. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of these are related. You know, they, they one goes, you know, in, in hand with the other. We probably so. don't even know they intermingle because we do the research separately yeah. for our topics. We try not to dip into it. I accidentally did earlier. Well, but, I know. Yeah, know, yeah. But, so. uh, but that's why I asked you if there was anything you wanted to add because I know you 
uh, unintentionally did some research, so I wanted to see if I missed anything. No, I think we were on the same page. All right, cool. Oh, actually, yes, I do have one God quick thing it. about the 10%. So, there you go, rumor flies. There's Ryan, that person going, uh, actually, that's him right there. All right, add that to the bingo card for rumor flies. <laughs> so one thing that I found that was really interesting, where I talked to Greg about this in the projecting podcast. I think I've mentioned this a billion times already. Greg does projecting, but occasionally people come on. Uh, it's a little bit more serious. It's a little bit more serious sometimes. But one of the things that I'm very big on is education. And this whole 10% thing kind of shows a big idea of how virality happens, especially in education, how either really smart things get propagated or really dumb things get propagated or really wrong things can get propagated. So there was a survey in 2012 where 137 English school teachers, generally primary and secondary school, I think it translates into grammar and high school for us yeah, here. Yeah, it's similar, yeah. And then 105 teachers in the Netherlands were asked about the 10% myth. And in England, 48% of those English teachers said that they believe, yes, uh, people only use 10% of their brain. 26% said, 26% said, I don't know. So 75% basically either didn't know or thought 10% of their brain was used. Yes. Wow. And the Dutch, 46% said yes, and 12% said, I don't know. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. Now, once again, it's one thing to think something's wrong. But it's also a bigger deal if the people teaching your kids are the ones that are telling people the wrong thing. That is the definition of something going viral. Because not only is it they're teaching to a wide audience, it is getting widespread after that. Like, it's a wide audience and they're trusted. That's the big part. That's They're scary. teachers. That's it scary. is their job to actually educate you and bring you the truth so yeah. that you can carry it on in the future. That is concerning. And I thought, like, honestly, I've talked to a lot of people around here, and I'm not saying all my friends are like, you know, I hang out with a lot of smart people, but I've not met that many people around me that have been surprised by the fact that we use more than 10% of our brain. And I figured that this was kind of like a non-issue now. Well, it's the classic of what our whole podcast is about. It's that it's like you hear it and you go, well, that makes sense. It's, it, it really is like kind of the underpinnings of what we're doing. Well, exactly. this, well this for me, was it was never something that I actually believed. I thought it was more in the sense that like we only use 10% of maybe like a certain part of our brain for certain things, you know, kind of thing. And, and I was going to say like maybe, you know, if you're more right brained, you know, there's only parts of your left brain that you use. But we'll get into that, I'm sure, in a moment. But it would, but it, but I took it. I didn't take it as like, you know, you take your brain, you, t- you cut out 10 percent and that's all you use. The rest of it is just it's there, you know, and, and the other way that I also looked at it was they may only know like what 10 percent of our brain act like their function is because I mean there's still a lot of research that's being done as to you know what our brain actually does and everything that goes on in there so that I mean that's how I looked at it right well since you already mentioned left brain right brain that's our next topic yeah yay Woo! so this one I believe is is the one that's a little bit more widely believed or taken for granted because only recently has damage control been done for it so the idea is, once again, I'm sure you know this, Josh, is that a lot of people believe that the brain is divided into two hemispheres, and those hemispheres are pretty much subdivided into two different things. The left brain is known to be more of the rational side of the human psyche for math and analytical side. Yeah, that's what I always heard. Analytical. And the right side is supposed to be the creative side for the arts and just expressions things like that yeah i heard there was the more creative side yeah. right 
and it's been dissected into a few more different things where people have said, you know, men are more left brain thinkers and women are more white right brain thinkers, which for the record is extremely sexist. <laughs> I, just true, think about yeah. that real quick. Yeah, I never really thought about it. Like, I, well, I've never heard that, but yeah, that's very true. Like, it's much more softer to say men are from Mars and women are from Venus than to say that like men are the analytical people that get shit done and women are just good for making artsy stuff. You know, like that is ridiculous. Okay. So, anyway, I, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, and unfortunately, this kind of myth has not really died down over the years from when it started, which we're going to get into. But more recently, I believe in 2009, a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist who I think is like just – they're a very interesting part of the scientific field that I probably shouldn't talk any more about before I catch a lot of flack. A psychiatrist named Ian McGilchrist in 2009 released a book called The Master and Its Emissary, which was solely based on the left-brain-right-brain relationship, saying that generally – People of Western culture, that being like the U.S. and Europe and such and such and such, are more left brain oriented, whereas people of East Asian culture are more evenly distributed between the two brains, which is why we have such an economic crisis and we have so many wars and such and such, like leading to all these problems with the Western world. Where, where did, because wh- Asia doesn't have any problems, you know. Yeah, where all. where the hell is this basis coming from for all this? Like Exactly. You know, it's totally rational to cane somebody to death for holding a little bit of weed on them in Singapore. So <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So that's what his book was, and it was very popular. I believe it was a bestseller. So this thing is still a very believed topic, and only recently has it been kind of torn apart. Or it's beginning to be. So where did this come from? The origin of it is from a researcher named Mark Dax, who actually did not get his research published until after he died. In 1865, his son published it. And he did a uh, study on speech-impaired people that found out that they had mainly damage to their left brain. So anybody that had problems with their speech or such, usually there was a correlation between bad speech and damage to the left hemisphere of their brain. Okay. And this actually held some water. Uh, more generally today, people have been able to associate the left brain with being involved with the speech centers. Uh, furthermore, uh, French neurologist uh, Jules Bernard Louis, I'm sorry if I can't pronounce that right. I'm not French, even though I'm from New Orleans and we have a lot of bastardized French names to pronounce. It's you know. Cajun. It's, it's not the same. You it's know, okay. e- exactly. <laughs> Well, for yourself. <laughs> he piggybacked off of that research and decided that emotions are more of the primitive right side of the brain, like just the survival, like the rational part of it. And then the intellect is the civilized left. So that is where it starts to like kind of stack up a I, little bit. Afterwards. I was going to say, so you can kind of see where as things went on, that's where left brain was more analytical, right brain was more creative. Yes. Okay. So that's like the foundation for it. So there's still I a little bit you. of gray area going around around here where it's nothing, you know, solid evidence. You mean it's, gray matter? Ha, ha, ha. There's, and there's another one for rumor flies bingo right there. Josh makes a bad pun. Okay. So then we get the big shit in the 1960s where this guy, Roger Sperry, did a study that was taken completely wrong. So 
he did a study on epileptic patients that had their corpus callosum, which is the center point in your brain, which it, the brain is the divided into two different sides. Yeah. But there is a little bit of section that connects the two. And they found out that in a lot of epileptic patients, if they completely sever the corpus callosum, that it would temporarily, at least, at least temporarily cure the epilepsy. It was a very extreme case, like a last resort to do. But this was his this was his research area. He was studying these epileptic patients that did not have a connection between the left side of their brain and the right side of their brain. And he did this really interesting study where he had them look straight forward, and it wasn't very clear of whether he had a divider or not. But what he would do is he'd take these patients, and he would make sure in their field of view that he would have, uh, we're going to go with his the main example that I read about, a picture of like an apple in front of the left eye. So a little bit of a preface, it's understood today that the right side of your brain controls most of the left part of your body, and the left side of your brain controls the right side of your body. Just the way it works, that's how it goes. Fact. So, anyway, so you have the two images divided, and you have your right side blocked off, like your right eye, so your left brain is blocked off. Okay. And then you have the left uh, side with a picture of an apple. So only your right brain should be taking care of this right now. So whenever uh, people would see this apple, these epileptic patients with no corpus callosum, they would be asked, what do you see in this picture? And they couldn't tell anybody. They knew what they were looking at, but they couldn't tell anybody. How would they know? Because if they were to place a bag in front of them on their left side, their left arm could reach in there and pick out an apple and show the person the apple that they see in the picture. So they could recognize what it was, but they couldn't actually formulate words to say They couldn't it vocalize it. Yeah, okay. So that gave a lot of credence to the fact that the speech responsibilities of the brain are specifically kind of given to the left side of the brain, which is fascinating to me. I thought that was awesome when they found that out. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And pretty much what they, they got from that was that the left was used for language, problem solving, and we're going to get into this, false memories of like filling in pieces of memories. And then the right brain was more for emotions, morality, and empathy. That's what a lot of the general scientific field took from that, which is taking a few jumps, but, you know, you can forgive them a little bit, but it was taken wrong. All it proved was that the speech centers were in the left side of the brain. Okay, and but the alpha that is what they based left brain, right brain on? Yeah, they built a lot, of more, a lot more things off of that. Huh. Right. It just, so it just basically snowballed into, into that. Yeah. That. And from the 1960s on, there was a lot of propagation of that idea and just that getting that rumor spreading like crazy, huh. okay. especially once again with self-help gurus where they said something like, if you do my little course, I can teach you to make your right brain and left brain communicate better. Or I can take you, the whatever brain side you're lacking in a little bit and then make you stronger in that. So if you're, say, like an orator and you want to be better at your speeches, you got to stimulate, you know, the uh, right, the left brain the entire time. Because you only use 10% of your brain. <laughs> yes. And we're looking at a little bit of like holes in there right now because not necessarily just because you're an orator and you are good at giving speeches doesn't mean that you can creatively put a speech together. Right, right. Yeah. It's just being able to actually so vocalize project. that, you know, yeah. it's, it's not the abstractionist part of it. Right, right, right. So in 2003, more recently, uh, Klaus Steven uh, at the Institute of Medicine in Germany 
in collaboration with a few people at the Institute of Neurology in London, did a little study where they would take a few patients and they would have four-letter verbs. And I actually drew this out for you. And the verbs were consisting of three letters in black and one letter in red. And when you look at it, they would ask them two questions. Uh, they would ask them, is there an A in the left hemisphere? Is there an A in the word? And if there was, they would see on whatever scans they were doing of the brain that the left hemisphere was more active at that point. Okay, that's cool. And the second question they would ask is, what side is the red letter on? Is it to the left of the center of the word or to the right of the center? So say I have right here as an example the word make, M-A-K-E, and I have the letter E in red. So you would answer the E is on the right side of the center. So when they did that, they saw that the uh, right side of the brain was more active. Uh, So from that, they took out that the right hemisphere uh, more solves via insight and such, and that the left side is better at like clues and puzzles, like pretty much finding out little bits, like little small details. So it's kind of like broad and then finite. Okay. 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 Yeah, I follow. Okay. Right. So this kind of shows that not only, like we said, the, it's not just the speech side or the analytical side. Both of these did an analytical task. One of them found out spatially wise where a certain letter was, and the other one was able to find a certain letter. So it's kind of a crossover where they're both delegated some certain type of function. It's a little bit of a fuzzy area right there. But the point is, is that the left brain and the right brain are not specifically delegated exact things. It's very, it, right. it's very it, much a haze. Yeah, it, it, they cross over both doing their own independent things. And there's no way to say that one specifically does this. Well, the other one specifically does that or whatever. Right. I got gotcha. you. And some people generally posit that this is kind of like an evolutionary thing for multitasking. Okay. We're going to get into a little bit later on why it might be a little bit of a multitasking issue. Okay. It's going to be a little bit fun. Might be our first little video evidence. But But in general, that study proved that it's a little bit of both. It's not one or the other. And then furthermore, a man named Michael, I'm going to screw up this word so badly, uh, Michael Gazaniga. He was a uh, student of Roger Sperry, the guy from the 1960s that did the first study with the Apple. He did a study that went a little bit further, and he actually kept studying for decades after Roger Sperry on some of the same subjects, actually, where he had – this is a little bit more complicated of a study, so try to follow me with this. I know it's a little bit hard listening only without having a visual representation. Maybe we'll try to put a little bit of something up to kind of show you what we're talking about. Yeah. So what he would do is he would have a divider – for his test subjects, these people that have their corpus callosum divided. Well, I wanted to ask you a question about that. Was there any lasting effects from doing that? Yeah. They didn't have any communication between the right brain and left brain. Uh, so I meant, so they couldn't function in like the everyday world? They could. It's just it was harder. I mean, if you have both of their eyes there, it, it's able to work a little bit. Okay. So, I mean, generally, so if you were to do the Apple experiment, you'd be able to do it just fine. Okay. You'd be able to tell me it was an Apple. So this study, real quick had two different sides, but there were two different pictures. One would be the example here. In the left eye would be a snowstorm, and in the right eye would be a bird's foot. And then there would be matching cards that you'd have to pick up with either the left hand or the right hand correspondingly to each image. Most people picked the shovel for the left eye. That was a snowstorm for, like, shoveling snow. And the right eye, the right arm, would pick a uh, chicken, you know, bird's Bird's foot, foot, chicken foot. Exactly. But the interesting thing came up when somebody asked, 
why did you choose the shovel? And these people had their left brain and right brain completely divided. So left eye sees the rain, the snowstorm and picks the shovel. So left left eye, left hand picks the shovel for the snowstorm. But you are asking exactly why when their speech center is messed up, why that right side picked the shovel. So the left brain takes over and starts lying for the right brain because <laughs> it can't communicate and it starts making up shit. Like it said specifically, mo- some people said that they picked up the shovel to clean the chicken coop. <laughs> so the left brain took what it saw and tried to make sense of why they were given that thing, the shovel. So, so the right brain's like, oh shit, left brain, oh shit, left brain, what are you going to do? The he's left like, brain is a bullshit. Yeah, like, like, it's the one that makes up stuff, so it fills in those little blanks, and that is amazing <laughs> to me. So it's just like, ah, f- this is what we're going to say. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so that was like the amazing part of it. That's uh, interesting. So after that, they found out that it, exactly, it's just kind of a mixed bag of left brain, right brain, not like creative, not analytical. They both do different things and some of them are much more specific than the other, but it's definitely not, you know, artsy fartsy. And then just strictly math. I'm completely incapable of socializing with other people and understanding them. So that is one of those things where I hate to say it's kind of like bull. Because it's not completely bullshit, but at the same time, it's much more complex than that, and it's not as cut and dry. Well, I mean, that's like with the 10%, you know, with your brain. there There is some untapped potential in your brain in the sense that you're not using every single part of your brain at every single given moment, but you are using the majority of your brain when you're doing a everyday, you know, trivial tasks, and much like you're using both your left and your right brain, like you were saying, because it's not cut. The classic, there's truth in the myth, right? Exactly. Right, right, yeah. So, it, th- so there's truth behind both of them, but the greatest lies have a little bit, bit of, of truth, truth in them. It. Yeah. So that those are the heavy hitters. Those yeah. are the two big heavy hitters. The rest of the episode is going to be a little more casual, I guess. Yeah. And from there, all right. So now we're going to jump into something that I don't know how you feel. Well, let me ask you this: How do you feel about Deja Vu, Ryan? I'm not a big Denzel Washington fan. Oh, I knew you were going to fucking say it. God damn it. How do you feel about, not the movie, how do you feel about Deja Vu, the phenomenon? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've definitely experienced it. Yeah, so that's the thing that's hard for me is that, and I'm going to get into this a little bit, but the hard thing for me is that I don't exactly see Deja Vu as something that is very viable in the sense that I don't know if it's something that everybody experiences and it's, you know, and it's always right because I don't believe that. But there's different phenomenons or different aspects of it, I should say, that I do believe can be true. I was trying to be quiet. I'll just let you finish. It's fine. I'm just going to let you finish. Oh, God damn it, Ryan. We got Ryan on episode. We got, uh, we got a Josh. Yeah, I, I opened one on like episode two, so it don't matter. Okay, so deja vu. So I don't know if you know this. Deja vu is a French term that means already seen. I don't know. I didn't take French, so I didn't know that. Greg, did you take French? Yes. Did you know that? In like middle school. Did I took it? Okay, I took it in like <laughs> second grade, but yeah. I mean, so yeah, deja vu means already seen. So the thing about deja vu—that's a motherfucker—is deja vu is not. You're not able to prove that it's real. There's no way. There's different ways to test aspects of deja vu, but there's no way to just objectively say deja vu is real or deja vu is bullshit. There's no way. But it is known that the feeling of deja vu comes from the same part 
of your brain that memory comes from, the hippocampus. So they do know that through different lab tests, they're able to do some sort of tests that are similar, but they can't actually replicate replicate deja vu because there's actually no way to replicate deja vu because it would be deja vu, right? It's like I thought you sure you say replicate twice. I must just had deja vu. Uh, okay. Anyway, back to all of this before we fucking spiral out of control. Jesus. So, like I said, deja vu comes from the same part of the brain as the memory. Now, this is the this this is the part where it gets fuzzy for me with deja vu. I don't exactly ah. see. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> I gonna, be a can, can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? Deja vu is not something I see as like a prophecy or something that I see as like a vision or anything like that. I take deja vu as something that I've experienced before, but in a very certain way, which I'll get to in a moment. Like some people, like I don't like tarot readings and you know palm readings and all that other stuff. I don't necessarily, I don't believe in all that. That's what you just use the word stuff for? Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to not be mean here. So, but all that stuff I don't believe in. I don't believe in any of that. But there is one part of deja vu that I do believe in personally. And that is the part where you feel like you've experienced something in a dream. And then later on in life, it happens. I know for a fact that's happened to me before. Yeah. You know, I can't exactly point that out when it's happened to me, but definitely when it, it does happen, like in real life, I'm just like, this has happened before, and I'm pretty sure I wasn't awake for it because yeah. I've never been in this situation before. Exactly, exactly. So it must have happened in a dream, right? So that that's the aspect that I can't like that I would deem to be more true than any of the other stuff. But I can't exactly sit there and say for with 100 fact that you know that is a real thing, and nobody else can because, like I said, there's no way to actually prove that deja vu is real. The closest that we can actually come, like like science wise that we can actually come to proving deja vu is real is what they call crypto crypto cryptonemia cryptomnesia cryptomnesia i couldn't say it i like was having a stroke when i was reading it i've said it all day long and i can't say it when i was reading it all right which basically means that everything we, we record everything with our eyes basically and it's stored in some part of our brain and when we experience something we can't actually remember what we experienced before, but we know that we did. And so our brain sends basically these sensors throughout our body saying, you know, we felt like this before. We know it's going to happen yet. You know, um, you know, this feeling, you know, it's going to be said kind of thing. So that's about as close as they can actually get to proving deja vu at oh, the end of the day. Damn. So it's just kind of like a delay of the brain, pretty much not being able to catch up with what's going on. Or, or it's that, you know, you've experienced something similar to this before, but you can't actually remember it. Because uh, of everything that's stored in your your memory already, but you know you've had either that experience or something similar to it, so your brain just sends out all these neurons that you've dealt with this before, and that's why you get that feeling. Really? Yeah, that's yeah. that's about as close as you can get to it. Well, that's interesting. I really hope there's going to be some more re- research soon. The only, and, and honestly, the only reason I know Cryptomnesia is because it was Nomar Rodriguez Lopez album. So, I, well, I, I like I, I've read it all day, and I'm like, oh, Cryptomnesia, Cryptomnesia. And I read this, and I'm like, Cryptomnesia. No, I had no idea what that word meant. No. I thought he made up that word. So. <laughs> no, 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 it's a, it's a real word. But so, like I said, the there there's different aspects of deja vu. But honestly, outside of it being something you experience in a dream, I think that's about as close as you'll ever get to it, all right. personally. So, and we're off again to Ryan. All right, so we're going to go into more of the uh, term lunatic. 
So this isn't exactly a myth. It's just one of those things that I was always very interested in because back in high school, I found out that this, I was told something about the term lunatic and where it came from, and I really wanted to look into it. The idea that I got from this was in my high school Latin class, I was told that lunatic came from the cult of Luna, which was a group of women that would ceremoniously during the full moon go out, get naked, dance around, find a willing man, probably not hard to do. Nope. Uh, then they would copulate with him, and then they would just murder his ass. And by copulate, you mean... They would f*** him and murder him. Nice. Okay. Death by snoo snoo. Death by snoo snoo. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little f***ing shank. <laughs> Blow and go, right? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Turns out that I couldn't find anything about this. I looked everywhere. <laughs> I had the same Latin teacher. I heard the same story. I, love, I, love, I just really love surprised. that. Couldn't find shit about it. I'm really surprised you couldn't find anything about it. Really not funny. only that, I, and that. not only that, I actually outsourced a little bit. Like I said, we have just joined the Darkness podcast, and I took advantage of that, and I asked one of our one of the members there uh, named Sebastian Major. He runs Our Fake History, a very good podcast. Awesome podcast. Go check it out. And it turns out that I'm not crazy. He's heard of it too, but he knows nothing about it either. And maybe we'll come back to it another day. So I'll get into what I do know about the lunatics. Uh, The term lunatic comes from the Latin term lunaticus, which means either of the moon or moonstruck, which refers to people that have epilepsy or madness that is caused by a phase of the moon, most notably the full moon. A lot of philosophers uh, back in the day... (laughs) Back in the day, thousands of years ago, <laughs> namely, Arist- no back namely Aristotle and Pliny the Elder believed that the full moon induced madness in people striking with something like bipolar disorder. I guess whatever term they used for that back, like back in the day. Back in I gotta the stop day. using that term. <laughs> back in yesteryear. Put on the bingo card. And what they thought was that water had gravitational effects induced by the moon. So the moon affects bodies of water. We do know that. That does happen. What their reasoning was is that since the moon affected water, that the moon would affect the human body since the human body is predominantly made up of water, particularly about 80% water. Makes sense to me. No, uh, that's what I was going to say. It makes complete sense that for the limited amount of technology they had back then to come up with something like that, I can totally understand the, the, the theory behind it. Right. And up until about the 1700s, it was still a common belief that the moon induced anything from fevers to rheumatism to epilepsy. And not only that, it was a common term in law. In England, Wales, there were even something called the lunacy laws at one point. Really? Even in America, not until December 28, 2012, did President Barack Obama sign a legislation that removed the word lunatic from all federal law. Thanks, Obama. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Making the world so less interesting. (laughs) I could not do it. Taking away my freedom of speech to write the word <laughs> lunatic into the law. You know, I, I actually remember that. And I remember like sitting there thinking like, why the fuck would he do that? But I, I guess it makes sense now after hearing all this. Apparently it's offensive. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's still, it was a word that people use. It's a lot more lighthearted now, but generally lunatic was used for just a fucking crazy person yeah. back then. Uh, anyway, continuing on with that, to start as Josh would say, defuting some of those claims by our buddies Aristotle and Pliny the Elder. F*** you. (laughs) So let's go ahead into the effects of water. So three things. Number one, 
the gravitational effects uh, from the moon are so minuscule that the astronomer George Abel said that a mosquito on your arm probably has more gravitational pull effect on you than the moon does. So, there's that. Okay. They got me swinging. <laughs> Secondly, the moon's gravitational effects only affect open bodies of water, such as rivers or lakes. They don't affect closed bodies, which would be the human body. And thirdly, apparently the new moon is just as potent in gravitational effect as the full moon. For the record, the new moon is completely invisible to us. Well, they, they made that Twilight book, though. It was the new moon, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. And I think there was actually a moon on the damn book cover, yeah. which shouldn't be there in the first place. It should just be a black cover. And one of them was called Twilight. Yeah, that's true. Twilight? 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 So... That's what they believe. But, you know, just for uh, conversation's sake, we're going to go ahead and get into the fact that, A, there are a few effects on sleep that there, in recent studies that have shown that apparently some people have a lot harder time getting to sleep during a full moon phase, regardless of if they can see the full moon or not. This is huh. very early work, and I actually was a little bit hesitant to mention this because it's still nothing that's completely confirmed. It's just a small correlation that people have seen. But that's one of the things that has the actual effect of lunacy, I guess. Okay. Say. Uh, but just to, I guess, throw a little bit of spice into our life, we're going to go ahead and get some research from the Spiritual Research Foundation. <laughs> and <laughs> we're going to go ahead and go with their... Ex- reputable results. We're going to go ahead with their so- explanation. And what they believe the moon has to do with our bodies is, in Article 3... Effects based on illumination or phase of the moon. On a new moon... (laughs) Sorry. On new moon day... I didn't know that was a day. On new moon day... I was going to say... The non-illuminated, i.e. dark side of the moon, faces towards the earth. Pink Floyd. Darkness emanates Rajatama, predominant frequencies. (laughs) What? What was the guitar thing for? Because I said Pink Floyd. Oh, okay. Wait, wait, wasn't wasn't that the name of like the evil guy in Thundercats? Raja something another? No, that was that was Skeletor. No. No, that's He Man. No, that's He Man, f boy. Oh wait, no, that was Mumra. You're thinking of Mumra. Oh, okay. Anyway. Thank you. Darkness emanates Raja Tama predominant frequencies. Hence when when the illuminated side faces the earth, more subtle basic Raja Tama predominant frequencies are transmitted towards the earth. Alternatively, on a full moon day, there is a decrease in Rajatama because the increased illumination Oh my god, this is so bad. Wait, can can you stop right there? Can you can you stop right there? Can you tell me what the fuck Rajatama is? Uh looking on here, let's see, Rajatama. Go ahead and look at the very first definition of Rajatama on this website. And oh god, it's the very first thing that I read. So they didn't really describe that. So it's like energy dark forces i'd say something like that so like kylo ren yeah okay so however on a full moon day as moon frequencies are more active because the moon has frequencies a heightened activity of the mind <laughs> pick it up on my radio on the as way explained home. above on point two depending on the types of impressions from the subconscious mind that are activated the heightened activity can range from heightened random thoughts to heightened mind activity of specific thoughts for example a person who is a writer and is focusing on some book that he is writing is more likely to get heightened thought activity mainly pertaining to the book and creativity and writing style. These types of thoughts will arise out of the talent center. Hence, he may find that he can write prolifically on a full moon day. 
So I'm going to stop you here. Go ahead, because I don't want to read this anymore. <laughs> so they basically saying that if you believe, which I'm sure they did, because they don't know what the f*** they're talking about, that if you have a left brain and a right brain side, they're saying that the full moon affects more the right brain when it's full or not. If we're going by that concept, still, yeah. which they probably are. Which it doesn't sound too scientific but, to me. You know, so. my question will be asked is like, you know, Spiritual Research Foundation, that's a great little article you put. But where's the evidence? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Or I'm glad I asked. Okay. Because they have an article on that labeled Article Number Six. Why are recent reports unable to find evidence on the effect of the moon on human behavior? And it says some earlier medical. Not there, a fucking one-way ticket to crazy town. <laughs> hey, don't toot, talk toot, bad to them. I'm trying to read. I'm sorry, it's a real resource. You haven't even heard their explanation. Toot, it might toot. be very valid. Some, some <laughs> something tells me it's not gonna be. <laughs> Alright, ready? <laughs> Some earlier medical slash psychological studies have documented the effect of the moon on human behavior. Okay. But studies conducted in the recent years have failed to correlate this effect. The reason for this is that the last decade there has been an unprecedented increase in the overall Rajatama in the world. This excess in Rajatama has been primarily orchestrated by ghosts. Third fucking is again. Parentheses. Demons, comma, devils. Common negative energies, comma. What are ETCs? Ex <laughs> Exciting terrestrial causes. I guess it's it stands for ETs cousins. <laughs> I I like yours better. Oh, okay. Real quick, if I need some more explanation, it says refers to the article "Battle Between Good and Evil." Okay. Well, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Supplemental content. This overall increase in the Rajatama component has widespread effects on all aspects of the world. The problems range from increased mental issues at an individual level to the increased fights in families to terrorism to natural disasters. What the f***? As a result, the underlying overall increase in erratic behavior through the month, the additional effect of the new and full moon is still present and goes largely unnoticed in statistical studies because of Rajatama. So it sounds like I want to take a Rajatama in my bathtub later and waffle stomp it down the drain. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. You're only like. going to get that in the supplemental content. <laughs> I'll Snapchat it with fear boners. Oh, fear boners and Raja Thomas stomps. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, so that wraps that up. <laughs> now that I have completely just ruined the integrity of this podcast, Josh, please bring us back a little bit with your topic. Okay. We're going into the placebo effect. Now, this is like a really, really, really widely debated issue. It is vehemently discussed. Did I use that correct? Vehemently? Accurately vehemently? Said, no, we we decided it was heard, vehemently. I've heard, I've heard vehemently. No, fuck I've off. I like vehemently. I've heard both. I've heard both. Yeah, fuck off. Vehemently. Okay. Vehemently is easier. Anyway, okay, it's, it's widely debated. It is heavily discussed in the medical profession. But the big, big, big controversy is, is the placebo effect a real thing? And if it is... Should you continue to use it now? The ethics, exactly the ethics behind the placebo effect. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you whether you should or shouldn't use it. All I'm going to sit here and tell you is the straight facts of whether the placebo effect is a real thing, whether it's worked, and why people do or do not use it. Okay, so basically, where did this come from? So, well, let me start actually with the beginning of what exactly the placebo effect is. So the placebo effect is when there is a study 
they have two, they divide the study into two groups of whatever it is. And it's usually with medicine for, to make it very easy for you guys to follow. So let's say they have 60 people and they're trying to test out this new medicine. They divide them into two groups of 30. 30 people get the medicine they're trying and the other 30 get a, a placebo, which is something that does absolutely nothing to your body. But they don't tell these people which one they've got. So there's a control group and then there's the and then there's the other group that they want to see whether the the new medicine actually works or not. Now, the placebo isn't going to do it in theory. It shouldn't do anything to you because there's nothing to it. Some sometimes it's literally just sugar in a pill. That's and generally what it is. It's just a sugar pill. I was actually actually I was doing some more research and that's not always the case. Oh, that's there's other things that they use, but I didn't really I didn't really find that relevant to this podcast. But it's not always just sugar in a pill. Uh, yeah, well, that wouldn't now, be fun for a diabetic study. You just corrected my myth. That yeah, it's well, a sugar pill. So, it, but it's go. not always a sugar pill. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I thought okay. that. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was really interesting. But what's what is interesting as well is that one in three people on. It just just very general. One in three people experience positive symptoms even if they're taking a placebo, whether uh, they know it or not. Hmm. One in three when people. You, say positive, you mean like they respond as so, if they've taken the drug. Exactly. and But may, not to the full scale as to what the drug's doing because you can't actually recreate chemicals in your body of something that's not there. So if there's a chemical in like, you know, if there's some kind of like aspirin they give you, okay, you can't, your body can't create chemicals right then and there that's going to do the same thing that the aspirin does, you know, over the next three hours. But you might have a psychosomatic response. But you, you will. That's exactly what I was going to say. There, There is a psychosomatic response that you're going to have that can do something similar. Okay. That's basically what they're saying. Now, Greg and I talked about this, and this wasn't something that that I didn't know about until I researched it. Ryan didn't know about it. I want to interrupt it. on this one because no. it's like it's so cool. And I want to interrupt. You know what, Greg? No, you, you take no. you take this mic. No, just come, come sit down. No, come no, sit down. no, no, it's real. It's really no. interesting. Okay, I'm gonna be good. This is Josh's show because this is. I was so excited when you found out about this. So there's the placebo effect, which is when you take a pill and there's some kind of positive effect on you, no matter how small that you experience from from whatever the 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 trial is supposed to be doing. But the antithesis of that is the nocebo effect. Which is sometimes when people take a placebo pill, they have adverse effects to it, whether it's vomiting, nausea, headaches, things of that nature. So there's the placebo and the nocebo. Placebo is positive. Nocebo is negative. I'm not going to go. Greg and I talked about this. I'm not going to go all into uh, all the negative effects and what exactly the nocebo was. But I thought it was interesting enough to where there actually is something that is on the opposite end of the spectrum of the placebo effect. So it's harmful instead. Uh, yeah, but it's not really harmful because it's not anything you're taking. And my only right. commentary on that is that the nocebo effect generally only occurs when during the study, the doctor suggests that there's an adverse effect to the uh, medicine. So what happens people who take the medicine... There's occasionally someone will be like, oh, this hurt me. But like in general, what they'll do is they'll go, oh, this medicine, you take it, but there's a chance that it'll make it worse. So, and then suddenly those people respond to it. So it's, the most, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's nuts. Crazy. Sorry. I'm just like, it's, it's crazy. Well, it's, it's the power of suggestion. It's, it's 100% the power of suggestion. Yeah. It's mind blowing. So this is me being the child right now. Yeah, that's do fine. It. No, do it, man. Welcome to my world, Ryan. Yeah, you're a scientist. <laughs> we get the, this Let is, it be known. This is Ryan for once could not a hundred percent. Well, he probably followed a hundred percent. Did not know already about this subject. Do not raise that fucking bar for me. 
<laughs> my childish question is, is this a placebo or a nocebo? Say the doctor says, if you take this medicine, you may have an erection that lasts more than four hours. Placebo. Nocebo. Oh, okay. No, I'm kidding. So- it is placebo. It is. <laughs> What I'm talking is, uh, in the famous words of Tin Meadows as the ladies' man, if you take this pill and it lasts longer than four hours, instead of calling a doctor, call more ladies. He talked to the lisp. Okay. So the origin of the... That's really good, So the origin of the placebo effect, they actually believe to be from Henry K. Beecher, who published an article in 1955 that was called The Powerful Placebo. Now... Beecher was a doctor who studied the placebo effect at Harvard Medical School. So he was kind of fucking smart. So he knew what exactly what he was doing. You made it, you make it to Harvard in the 19, you know, ever. You obviously are a smart cookie. The 19 ever. The 19 ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, what Beecher basically came across was that approximately 35%, give or take a little bit, but... For the sake of round numbers here, about 35% of the people in a a case study will experience the placebo effect. So that means that they will positively react to whatever uh, whatever the drug is administered, even though they didn't take it. That's basically what he's saying. Now, 2001 and then in 2004, there's two scientists and I had their names, but it might have been the most fucking difficult names to pronounce ever in the history of the world. So I have them in the show notes, but I'm not even going to attempt to say what their names are. Okay, so Scientist A and Scientist 2. Two scientists. Oh, try, please. No, I'm not even close to saying <laughs> All right, it. No. What, what's the country of origin? <laughs> I honestly can't even tell you. Can I read it? I think, no, I don't, I don't have it here. Just <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> okay. Let me catch it. <laughs> I'll turn this car around. So in 2001, they did a study. Around. <laughs> they, in 2001, they did a study, and they did a follow-up study in 2004 on the nature of the placebo effect. And basically, what they did was really, really cool. They basically looked at almost 4,000 patients that were involved in all these trial, these clinical trials throughout history, and they took some and they threw them out because of different reasons, but they tried to make it as pure as possible, and they made them into what they call binary groups. You know, do you know what that is? Basically, they, they separated... Nope. They basically, well, binary, They're zeros and ones. either or. Exactly. Or they were either improved or they were not improved. So they looked at almost 4,000 people and they went through and they were like, okay, these people that took the placebos, were they improved or were they not improved? And what they actually found was that the people who took the placebos, the majority of them were not improved than the people who got no treatment. And to go even further than that, what they said was these people that were took the placebos as they took as they were involved in these trials that lasted longer and longer the people that took the placebos that said they felt better they their their um symptoms that they experienced from the placebos diminished over time interesting yeah well there's a little bit of like gray area for me there because it depends on what the situation is because i feel like there's a lot of patients where it's something where it's very subjective like for say pain levels yes People that's just a say, big example of well, like, and, effective. But, yeah. but that's why they did it into into binary groups. So they either went to like medically they were improved or medically they were not improved. Oh, so the binary didn't include symptomatic so, responses. So basically, they didn't like re, they didn't like take Ryan's blood pressure before before the placebo and then take it after. They didn't worry about that. They went it was stri- purely patient reporting. It was sh- like just strictly medically were they improved or were they not improved? Like. 
What was it patient reporting or like the symptoms? No, no, no. That's they were, my thing too. No, no, they were actually like going off of medical records. Of, oh, they, wow. They didn't worry about what the patient said because that's irrelevant because, you know, so I, saying, so I like could say the sky's falling. actual like, No, so they, so they would look changed. at, they looked at almost 4,000 patients um, over all these different case studies and basically what they said was, this is what was supposed to happen. This group took, took whatever it was saying that this was supposed to happen and this group took a placebo and this is what they said happened, but this is what actually what their readings were medically, like huh. their charts and stuff like that. And placebo turned out and, worse than people untreated. They turned out the same, basically. Oh, the there same. was no significant improvement over the placebo. But 35% reported. But 35% reported that ba- that basically they felt better because of what they took, even though they didn't take it. And I will say just as a, as a, as a doctor's kid, token doctor's kid, right, the um, – I, that thirty five percent is a very like classic number in the medical community. Yeah, it's like, so, it's like they, they just throw out thirty five. It's just this it's just this consistent for some reason. This thirty thirty five range is so crops up. The all number thirty five is like the sea of numbers. Well, Beecher basically when in doubt, see your way out. Beecher when he when he published a report, he actually said thirty five percent plus or minus two percent. Yeah, it's so like, he it's covered like, it's a his very ass. Classic number, right? Though. So you know, well, plus or minus two is still not a huge range. But you could thirty seven. That's still a pretty well, low. I was going to say so. I mean, but for the sake of round numbers, I just went with thir- you know approximately thirty five percent. No, that's a fair estimate. I'm saying is that, but it's true. Like I remember always hearing like. My mom's and my dad's and any doctor I've ever talked to, they're like, oh yeah, placebo. It's like eh, 30, 35%. They always like they always say that range. And it's like everyone, I don't know if it's because of experience or they've been drilled it, but that is in the medical community. Placebo is this like 30-ish range. It's fascinating. Well, the, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. But this kind of goes back to deja vu for me. It's kind of like we were saying, the you know, the power of suggestion of yeah. like how you feel like you've experienced things before with that. Well, with with this, you know, it's one of those things like we I always attributed to when I was in high school, when I was on the varsity football team, our coach let us wear like whatever, not whatever we want. He would let us make our own little alterations to the uniform because he always said, if you feel like you look good, then you're going to play better. And so it's kind of one of those things with the placebo is that if you feel like you're getting something that's going to make you feel better, then you're going to feel better. It's just the power of suggestion. So Josh let his midriff show. Oh, I know doctors are actually drilled a lot of times to come in, make sure you're wearing a white coat, make sure the stethoscope's on. The mentality that the patients have when Mm -hmm. they see you affects the treatment. Oh, definitely. That's what my dad used to do when he was uh, marketing. He was... uh, Look look like a medical professional. Yeah, he was an ethicist for a while, but... It, up until after Hurricane Katrina, he was retired from that, and he was just doing marketing. But what he did was he went between hospitals with dealing with hospice. And generally, when he talked to patients, he would just wear his old coat, and they would feel a lot more comfortable talking to him. Because they felt like he was a doctor. Yeah. I mean, and he that, would say they, he wasn't a doctor, no, but regardless, it, he would be like, just, I'm not a doctor. My name is just blank, blank, and I want to talk to you about this and they'd be like oh he's wearing a lab coat so he looks a little bit more yeah it's called a salesman's tactic but honestly it also brings comfort because it's not like he's trying to do anything harmful yeah and and one of the sources that i actually have is about placebos from the american cancer foundation so you know that they know their shit on that and you know with all the clinical trials and the things that they go through so I just, it was really, really cool to like sit there and see like, this guy says that, you know, 35% of people experience, um, you know, some kind of effect on the placebo. And then I learned about the nocebo, the nocebo, which I thought was really interesting. And then, but the fact that these two guys sat there and just looked and they were like, okay, 
all this other bullshit that's out there, it doesn't matter. These people are, either, you know, based off their medical history, they're either improved off the placebo or they're not improved. And the thing that I just thought was really, really, really cool was that they were able to sit there and say, you know, not only were these people not improved, these people felt, you know, didn't feel any better as time went on compared to people who didn't get any treatment. You know, I just, it was, a, and that was just like a whole like long recap of everything, but it was pretty cool. It was just, it was a really fun time. And I think it's something that I'm really glad we really, we went into. It was a fun time for everybody, but the nocebo patients. Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, so we've probably made this a little bit longer than we should have. Yeah. But it's not been. Not as bad as history. No. Yeah. Not as bad as history. My fault. It's alright. <laughs> we'll, uh, no Christopher Columbus here, Greg. We'll just wrap up with something interesting uh, towards the end. A little I'm not bit saying fun. he was a piece. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, We're, we need to make a bingo card for this podcast. So he baited me. We're gonna go ahead and end with a little fun thing that isn't even really that much of a myth. Uh, yeah, no, it is actually. It's just something that we've seen, and you're going to get to watch us be jackasses probably on video if you check our Instagram, probably. Supplemental income. Yeah, we're at RumorFlies on Instagram, so be sure to check that out. Either Instagram or YouTube. We'll get you the information soon. You'll find us if you follow us on Facebook. We'll make sure we embarrass ourselves on as many platforms as possible. (laughs) You don't have to worry about that. (laughs) So this is the little bit of a brain interaction where you are supposed to take your right foot or your left foot. Depends. Pick. As long as you take your right foot in your right arm or your left foot in your left arm, you move your right foot clockwise. And then with your index finger, you try to draw the number six at the same time. You can't fucking do it. <laughs> you can't, you can't fucking do it except for the fact that that goes back to this, the left brain, right brain separating with things and being able to multitask. We actually suck at multitasking. Yeah. The, uh, if you try this, it's Unless really hard to ADHD. do. ADHD. <laughs> I'm awesome at it. At least I convinced myself so. Future episode. Yeah. yeah was, sorry, that was my uh, that was my un, unwanted uh, comment. I'm having a lot of trouble with it. I'm trying to do it right now, <laughs> and I can't. But I found the workaround around it. All three so, of us look are at like this. jackasses trying to this. do this before the show. I want you to watch the way I'm doing it right now, and this is totally boring for everybody else. But I'm gonna try to make it quick. So I can't do it like that. But watch this clockwise. You saw how I did it that way? Oh! I cheated. You did cheat. So there's possible ways to do this. So the idea is that your brain can only really, uh, it's kind of like the way a uh, RAM works. You can only have so many things delegated to a certain side of the brain at once. And the whole clockwise motion and counterclockwise motion. You can't open 15 programs at the same time. Exactly. That's why there's (laughs) supposedly the left brain and right brain are separated so they can do two separate things separately. That's why people are able to play guitar, play drums, stuff like that. Uh, as long as the motions are similar, yeah, they can kind of handle it, but people actually can do this whole. And once again, if you're at home, make yourself look like a jackass at your desk or just wherever you are, Welcome just to not while you're driving and just move your right foot. That would be where the acceleration pedal is right now. <laughs> in a circular in a circular clockwise, yeah, and in a clockwise, clockwise motion. motion. And then draw the number six. With your, With right, your hand. right hand. Use the same hand and the same leg. Yeah. It takes a lot of practice. But we found a very nice southern gentleman on YouTube that was able to do it. And he made us look like total just f***ing amateurs. So not, not that we have trouble making ourselves look that, like that in general. We just got turned to scrubs by him. <laughs> 
So we're going to go ahead and link that in the show notes and we will update you as to when we post this video material because we are going to look like jackasses doing it. But in the meantime, I had a really fun time doing this episode. I didn't think we'd get this much into it. I actually thought we'd be like straining for content, but honestly, we've cut a lot and it's going to come back in another season. Yeah. And I am going to say that I think one thing that's important is that since this episode was so involved and a lot of what we said involves a lot of different things. Be sure to check out the show notes and read up on it because there's a lot of really, really, really interesting things in there. And uh, the other thing that I want to say is that, um, you know, um, with the Our Dark Myths thing, that's a really cool thing to go check out. And be sure to just go check it out at ourdarkmyths.org. They're not you just, you just, uh, just, just combine some things. It's just darkmyths.org. Darkmyths.org. You missed it with Our Fake History. Fuck. You just plugged Sebastian again. All right. Our Fake History is awesome. at yes, Our Fake History is at Darkmyths.org. So go check out Darkmyths.org. How's that? Right. And once again, if you have any comments uh, or corrections for us or just general interactions, say Participation hi. encouraged. Yeah. Participation is always encouraged, folks. Uh, go to rumorflies at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, rumorflies podcast. Rumorflies podcast.com. Rumor flies on Facebook. Greg, and you want to finish this up? I was trying to see if I can. T- at Rumor flies on Twitter. And at Rumor flies on Instagram. There we go. We're I- also on Google Plus for that sweet, <laughs> sweet SEO. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> checked that for yet. For like ten people who use Google um, Plus. So I do want to say that real quick. Just thank you to everybody. We've had a really, really positive oh response God. from you yes. guys, and it's been super overwhelming. And it's really cool that you guys are really interested in what we have to say. And just so thank you. That's that's really about it. Just thank you. We love you exactly. guys. Exactly. We thought that we would just be catering to our friends at the moment. But the amount of people that we have supposedly subscribed to us or even following us on Facebook is way more than the friends I have on Facebook. So I know <laughs> that at least the somebody friends else. and family who like shared it. I mean, yeah. It's like, it's thank great. y'all for, it's just, thank you for promoting us and helping us out. It's I mean, really cool. Like we, we are do our best every single time that we record and we prepare as much as we do because we want to do right by you guys. And the fact that you guys have had such a positive response to us, that is just, it's a kick on our ass to make sure that we keep doing what we're doing and be even better than we were the episode before. So thank you for everything. Yes. Thank you once again to new listeners and to the people that know us and that are listening to us at the moment. Yeah. Thanks, uh, guys. Especially those people because you're the guys that helped get us to where we're hopefully headed to. We wouldn't be here without any of you. <laughs> So I think that's about, uh, before we get too sappy, I think that's about the perfect time to wrap everything up. So once again, uh, hit us up, social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, you know, uh, Instagram, whatnot. Google Plus. Google Plus, if you really, really are adventurous. So uh, for the Rumor Flies podcast, I'm Josh. I'm Ryan. And I'm Greg. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Adios. This episode's closing song is Flame by the New Orleans band Nice. That's N-Y-C-E with an exclamation point. You get next to me, I get a heat that creeps across my face. There's smoke arising from the friction of the beating of my heart's face So spark the fire, dear So spark the fire, dear Strike
Your looks are melted like you did me from my toes up to my chin. Your words are gasoline, they're dripping down my back, drenching my skin. Come on, get closer, dear. Don't, don't be ashamed, 'cause this wax figurine will light. For your flame, come on, get closer, come on, get dear. closer, dear. Come on, get closer, come on, dear. get closer, dear. Don't let the embers die. Can't wait much longer, dear, to keep the heat you need to make moves fast. Yes, please move quickly, dear. Ain't fiction that the friction doesn't. Come on, get closer. Come on, get closer.